Guys, how you doing? You guys awake? Good, because I am. I drank a double shot of green tea this morning, so I'm ready to roll. All right. Uh, you guys want to turn to Matthew for me? It's my favorite book. All right. Turn to Matthew for me. And let's go to verse, or excuse me, chapter 11, verse 12. You guys have heard this verse before. It's a pretty common verse. And um, I'm going to read out of the New International Reader's Version. And it says, wait for it to rotate back there. There we go. Um, And it says, Since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing with force, and forceful people are taking hold of it. Some translations say that the kingdom of God is taken by force, and and people who are aggressive take hold of it. There's different translations for different things. And when I was putting this together, this wasn't actually part of it, but God said this is going to be a key part of of where we're going to go with that today. And... um, what I was looking at was this, is um, the kingdom of heaven isn't something that people slip into. It's, not, it's nothing that you can just kind of break in the back door and go, hey, I got into God's kingdom, or hey, I got into his house and he didn't know I was here. It is something you have to knock on the front door and walk into. It's nothing that can be snuck into. You know, like you ever been to that friend's house and you know they're not home, but you know that they have the one door, one window in their house, or the door in their house, they say, just jiggle the handle, you can go in the back door. You know, you always got that friend, or they, you know where the key is, and you have to go around the back, you get the key, and you walk into their house, or they just leave that one door unlocked for you, and say, hey, lock it when you're done. The kingdom of God is not like that. God's kingdom, uh, gaining entrance into heaven is not as simple as, hey, go around and jiggle the handle on the back, on the back door, and you can get in, and then lock it on the way back out. It's something that we have to aggressively take action in our own lives to become part of. And we'll get into a little more detail on that in a little while, but I wanted to talk to you guys about this. There's, you guys ever had a problem that you couldn't quite figure out where to go with it or how to solve it? None of you. Wow, you guys are great problem. No, it's just everything that comes in your life is like perfect. It's just like, oh, Boom, there, it's done. Um, I have a magic wand that solves all my problems at home. So, um, But I want you guys to understand this. is There's problems in our life that they seem overwhelming and like we're not going to be able to get through it, but we can get through it. And what I want you guys to understand is this, is there's problems in life that God gives us in order to grow our character and to grow, our, and grow us in different areas. We all hate something that, can, that is inconvenient to us, you know? You know, it's funny, and I was thinking about this, is you drive up to McDonald's, you just go number one, and then they go around there and you give them their money and then you're out the door. And a lot of times we like to have life that way. Well, if I have to get up off the couch to go answer the phone, why did I leave the cordless phone on the, on the kitchen counter when I could have had it sitting on the couch? You know, you ever had that moment you're in the middle of a movie and the phone rings and you're like, who the heck is this? Why are they calling me? Don't they know I'm in the middle of a movie watching this on, or I'm watching my favorite sporting event or something like that? And we don't like inconveniences in our life. We're so, even Subway has a drive up, 
I drive through now. I mean, you used to have to go in there and go, pickles, onions. Now you can, my wife is lazy about this. She likes the app. So she's like, oh, I got the app, boom. And she just shows up and hands him the, and pays for it and picks it up. And that's my wife's favorite thing now is the Subway app. So she can just order it from home and pick it up when she wants to. Um, but we get very inconvenient when we have to figure something out. It's like, oh, I got to figure this out. I got to solve this problem. And as humans, we desire to be problem free. I mean, I, trust me, I feel the same way. You know, like Sarah will be like, oh, we need to do this. I'm like, really? I got to take the trash down? I'm like, I don't really want to do this. It's inconvenient to what I want to do right now. And, you know, it's got two wheels and I can just go like this and walk it down instead of, you know, dragging a, a couple bags down there. But it's like, I don't want to do this. And we get very inconvenienced when we do things. And as humans, we desire to be problem free. You know, we don't want any glitches in anything. When we have a, a project we're doing, it's like, this is how I envision it, and this is going to work how it is. And when a problem shows up, we're like, now what do I do? I didn't have any plan for this. You know, I planned it to go perfectly, and everything was going to fall into place, and this wire would connect to this wire, and this pipe would connect to this pipe, and this piece would fit into this piece, and, and everything would be like a jigsaw puzzle, and it would fit perfectly as soon as I find the right piece for it. But sometimes we view struggle or trials as an attack. And a lot of times we have to understand they're not. Trials and struggles are not attacks on our life by the enemy. Some of them, they may be, but a lot of this stuff is God just working on our character. Trials are simply a way for God to work on our character, our perseverance, and most of all, our faith. You know, it says it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to come to the Father without faith. We cannot come, to, you know, when we came into, we believe that Jesus Christ was the Lord of our life and he died on the cross and rose again. We didn't see that physically happen. So we had to have faith in, in, in to believe that that actually happened. So we had to have some measure of faith to come into the kingdom of God. So God says, okay, well, you've got faith and now your life is going to have trials and, and different things that inconvenience you in your physical and spiritual walk because I'm working on your character. We, a lot of times we get in this um, mindset that um, God is God and he, he leaves us alone and he's up there and we have to do things to please him. Um, but God is very much like a parent and we, have to, we don't understand that because we're so used to physical parenting where we're standing next to our kids. Don't do this. Please do this. Don't do this. We've got, you've got to do this better. God does the same thing, but he's not physically with us, but his spirit is with us. So when we're going through something, God is, is guiding us and directing us saying, hey, what was your choice on this? You ever had that conversation with your kids? You made the wrong choice. What choice are you going to make next time? None of you. Okay. <laughs> you guys are all better parents than me. So, um, <laughs> Nicole has. All right, good job. Um, but we, we get into this mindset that God is a- absent in a lot of ways. I mean, he's present with us and he loves us and he guides us, but he sits in heaven watching us, but he, he guides us and corrects us and gently moves us where we should go as children through his Holy Spirit, through his word. And there's going to be times in our life that we have problems that we don't know how to solve and we have to go to our father and say, how do I solve this problem? Where do I go from this problem? 
many times, and, and this might be hard for you guys to understand this or receive this, many times God will wrap an amazing gift inside of a, a trial or a problem. Because it's not that he's causing problems in your life, but what God is doing is saying, hey, I'm not going to control everything that goes on in your life. You have free will to choose me. You have free will to serve me, not serve me. But I'm going to, he allows things to come into our life, problems and situations that we have to solve them. It's not that they're wrong. It's not that they're right. But there's problems that we have to figure out how to access him, talk to him, figure out what he's taught us, how to solve that problem. We do this with our kids. We, we say, okay, well, you pulled your sister's hair and she punched you in the face. Now, how is this going to work out next time? And would it be better to use nice words and gentle words with them instead of screaming at them? Or would it be better to punch him in the face and then run away hiding? My brother was a biter when I was a kid. He would bite people and then run into his room and lock the door and hide and scream, Mom, Mom, where are you? Because I was getting ready to pound him. So we, te- we teach our kids to problem solve. We teach our kids to be independent from us. Whether we want them to be or not, we have to teach our kids to be a problem solver and be independent from us. We have to grow them so they can solve problems in the real world when they get out. You guys ever met that one person when they get out of high school and they're like, uh, they look like they don't know what to do. They're, they're literally, they don't have a clue of what to do. You know, they're like, a bill's here. What do I do with the bill? Uh, or I got to pay, I got to fill up with, you know, I got to fill up with gas. Where, where, how do I do that? You know, it, it's people, when you don't teach your child how to do normal things, they don't know how to live life when they get away from you. Like my daughter, Layla, she's 13. I've been teaching her to drive for about two years. Started with a lawnmower. Now we drive around the circle in the driveway. You know, I'm, she's sitting on my lap. I got my feet touching because she's still not old and, uh, tall enough to reach. I, uh, I control brake and gas. I tell her, okay, left signal, right signal. Okay, turn, turn, turn. And teaching her how to do those things. So when she gets into driver's training, she's not going to be that kid that crashes into the curb the first week of driver's training. So... God teaches us things. He, he, he guides us in little things so that way, even though he's always with us, we have our problem-solving skills so we don't have to go, oh, God, I need you to, you know, it's a, you ever had your kids sitting at your bedroom door and you're, you know, and you're like, Mom, and you're like, what do you need? I'm in the middle of something or I'm getting dressed or I'm in, they're in the, you're in the bathroom and the kids are knocking on the door, Mom, Mom, she won't let me have a popsicle. I've heard that in my house. She won't let me have that popsicle. She ain't the last one I like. And mom's just like, solve it. I don't care who, what you do, just do it. I've actually, you know, like my youngest, she pushed me. I said, go push her back and solve it. You know, push it. You know what? Figure out the problem. I said, you know what? Don't let her bully you. Stand up to her. Whether it means saying you're not going to do that or push her back and see what happens. not saying to do that you know don't get your kids in a cage fight together or anything like that but but problems call us to be courageous they call us to be wise they call us to use the wisdom that god has given us the the wisdom that our parents have given us how how many of you guys know your parents probably gave you some wisdom and their parents probably gave them some wisdom and you've given your kids wisdom how many of you guys know that some of their wisdom wasn't wisdom it was like like, what were you thinking? And then there's other things that God said, and you're like, man, that is wisdom because I know that's from God. So problems call us to, to be courageous and have wisdom. They call, uh, 
call us to use those in those situations. James says that we need to be thankful during those trials. We need to be, we need to appreciate the, the, the trials that we go through because what it does is it produces perseverance and it produces faith in us. We want to have, you know, we really, as Christians, we want to have, especially in, the, in our culture in America, we want to have um, speed bump problems where it's like, oh, I just got to slow down a little bit, then I can speed up, and then I can slow down a little bit, and then I can speed up. You guys ever hit that, uh, that speed bump in the, in the parking lot and didn't realize it was there one time you're driving at night or it's wet and boom, you're like, oh, and you know, you get that little bit of whiplash going on. But that's how we want to deal with problems. We want the little speed bump. We want the roundabout Christianity where, I just, oh, I just circle back around and I can go where I need to go. But sometimes the problems in our life look more like a wall, a fence, a gate. You ever seen those uh, freeway uh, sound barrier walls in Grand Rapids that are like 30 feet tall? Sometimes they look like that. Sometimes they don't look and feel or even look like in, in, a, in a way of, oh, this looks, oh, that looks easy. And then we get up to, it's like, oh, wait, this is a bigger problem than I thought it was. Sometimes we see it from a distance like, oh, that's easy. And then we get it to, we're like, wow, how am I going to deal with this one? But we cannot have a big promise of God without big problems in our life. And I'm not saying we cause problems or people are causing problems, but we're going to have issues in our life that we have to we have to tap into the wisdom that God has given us and the training that God has given us and, and his word and, and our faith to be able to look at this big problem and go, when I get through this problem, when I get over this wall, when I break through this wall, when I destroy it, whatever's going to be, this is standing in my way, this stronghold in my life, when I break through this, the promise of God is going to be even greater in my life once I get past that. A problem... A problem in our life can distinguish two things, whether we're going to fail or whether we're going to succeed. How you confront and deal with it will dictate how you confront and resolve the problem in your life. So how you deal with roadblocks in your, in your path is, is how you're, it's going to dictate how you deal with life. If you get up to that problem, go sit down next to it and go, I'm just going to wait here until somebody comes and helps me. That's how you're going to deal with everything in your life. You're going to wait for that problem to go away. I'm just going to avoid the problem. Maybe I can walk around the problem. Eventually you find out that problem is a wall and it's a big circle. And you're like, when's this, when's this wall going to end? And you keep walking. I've got to be getting close to the end. But you continue to walk around that wall and go, I'm going to find the end of this. And then you start looking and go, that looks familiar. So you continue to walk around that problem where you sit down and wait for somebody to deal with it for you. But how you confront and deal with it will dictate how you confront and deal with problems in your life. Every area of your life. We live in a culture that does not want to confront problems. We avoid them. We pretend they're not there. We take drugs to, you know, pretend they're not there. We, you know, we take anything we possibly can and we, and we suffer because we don't want to deal with the problem. But what people don't understand is, is this, is sometimes dealing with the problem is a lot less painful than actually suffering through and not dealing with it. 
But we, we tend to, oh, well, if I just don't deal with it, it's not going to hurt. But what we don't realize is actually we're hurting ourselves by not dealing with that problem. So we, we, we spend more of our time. It, it's like the, the person who cuts themselves and says, no, I don't need stitches. They just keep putting a Band-Aid on it, keep putting a Band-Aid, keep putting a Band-Aid. And, and it's like, oh, still bleeding, keep putting more. And eventually they're like, I don't feel very good. And then by the time they go to the doctor, they're like, yeah, you probably should have been at a doctor like 12 hours ago because you're just bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. Sometimes we don't confront the issue or the problem in our life because it means that we have to step up to that problem and be bigger than that problem because we're so afraid, man, I don't know, I can't deal with that because we're, we doubt ourselves. But what happens is, is this, is when we doubt ourselves, we doubt who is in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. So when we take that problem, we step up to that problem, we should be able to say, you know what? God is in me and I'm in him. I can deal with this issue. I can deal with this problem in my life and I'm not afraid of it. Turn to Luke for me. I like this story. This story can apply to almost any area of our life. Luke 8.43. I'm going to read this. It says, In the crowd was a woman. She had suffered from an incurable disorder for 12 years and spent her livelihood on doctors with no effect. It had kept her miserable and and ritually unclean, unable to participate in, in Jewish life. She followed Jesus until she could reach him. She touched the fringe of, of the robe Jesus wore, and at that moment, she stopped bleeding. We all know this story. We know the, the woman with the issue of blood. Basically, 12 years of her life, uncurable bleeding. And so... In Jewish culture, that makes her unclean. She cannot go to the temple. She cannot, basically, she is pretty much homebound or within a close area of her home because she is literally seen by all priests, anybody, that she is unclean and that she's not fit for God. So Jesus is, is, is coming through the area and I mean, literally, she spent her livelihood. That means she spent every dime that she possibly could on cures, surgeries, whatever it was in those days to get, her, to get this problem fixed, to get this problem taken care of. And so she's sitting in the crowd and Jesus walks by and, she, and just think of her thought pattern. If I can just touch a little piece of his cloak, his, his robe, his, his coat when he goes by, the hem of it, the bottom of it, right by his feet, if I can touch it, I'll be healed. So she's waiting. I mean, literally, she's like waiting, like, you know, I'm going to just jump out and grab it real quick, you know. She, you know, I don't know. Guys think that way. Women are like, I'll just walk up gently and touch the hem of his garment, and, and I'll be healed. And, but this woman is desperate. Twelve years of her life, her money's gone. Her, her hope is gone to be healed until she knows that Jesus is coming by. And so she sits and waits and hears that he's coming, sit and knows that he's coming. And she touches the fringe of his robe that Jesus wore. And at that moment, the bleeding stopped. And Jesus stopping and looks around. In verse 45, he says, who touched me? 
And then everyone speaking at once in the crowd says, not me. And then another person says, oh, it wasn't me. And Peter, in his infinite wisdom, Peter was always just full of really great things to say to Jesus. What was really cool about Peter was this, his his name was Simon Peter. Jesus knew who he was and knew where he was going, but he had to deal with his big mouth for a while because he knew what, what his name as Peter would be. So Peter intervening said, Master, what kind of question is that? I mean, really, you're asking Jesus what kind of question is that? We're, we're talking about the creator of the, of the world. And he says, what kind of question is this? With this huge crowd all around, how, how many people are touching you on all sides? And Jesus probably just gives him the hand and says, stop. I felt something. I felt the power going out for me. I know that somebody touched me. So this woman has a hope and a, 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 that's keeping her sustained that if I can touch Jesus' garment, if I can touch his robe, just a piece of it, I'm going to be healed. So verse 47, she, this woman now realized her secret was going to come out sooner or later. So this woman, with boldness, she knows that somebody's going to know who it was because they're all going to go, was it you? Was it you? Was it you? You know, they're going to go through and ask because Jesus is looking for somebody now. He's like, somebody touched me. Not just, oh, I brushed up against you, but I touched you in faith. I came up and I saw you going by and I reached my hand out and I had faith that something would happen when you walked by and I could touch your, your robe. So Jesus says, I know the power went out for me. I felt it. We're talking about the Son of God, part of the Trinity, has like an intimate relationship with his father, fully powered by his father, walks with power, walks with authority and goes, I know somebody touched me. Not just brushed up against me, but somebody touched me, accessed me in faith to be healed. So this woman realizes, I'm going to have to step forward. Can you imagine that fear? She is deemed unclean for 12 years. She's literally an outcast. She's about this close to being a leper. In the, in the village. People avoid her because they think that God has taken his hand off her because she is unclean. She can't go and sacrifice at, at the temple. She can't go to the priest. Literally, she's a reject and an outcast in the community. Most likely, she doesn't have a husband. So, most likely, she's a beggar. Uh, my guess is, that from what I, I can read, is she's unclean. She may live with a family member, but she doesn't work because nobody will give her a job. So she knows that she's going to get found out. So she takes that bold step and says, it was me. She walks out of the crowd. I just imagine this little five-foot-tall woman that just steps out of the crowd and says, it was me. And basically everybody moves away from her. And Jesus says this, or excuse me, and, and so she realized that she was being, going to be found out. So she stepped out of the crowd, shaking with fear. She fell down in front of Jesus. Then she told the story in front of everyone, why she touched him, what happened as a result. And Jesus says this, your faith has made you well again, daughter, go in peace. This is not Jesus as a man talking to her, this is Jesus as God saying to her, daughter, go 
in peace. I have healed you. Her problem caused her to have courage. She had courage twice that day. Courage to step out and grab his robe, just to touch it. And it caused her to have courage to be able to step up and say, I am the one who did that. I'm the one who did that. Courage to believe that if she touched Jesus, she would receive her healing. And courage to step out and say, I touched you. This is my story. This is what happened. And this is what happened when I touched the hem of your garment. She looked her problem in the face and dealt with it and found a resolution for it and found a fix. She knew Jesus was the fix for her problem. She knew that if she went to him, that her problem was going to be gone like that. She had the faith to believe that. She didn't even need to talk to him. She could just go, boom, I can touch his his coat and I'm good. I know I'm going to be good. She was thinking, if I just touch his garment and I'm going to get healed, I'm just going to run away. Nobody's ever going to know. And I'll be good. I can just go to the high priest and see, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not unclean anymore. I'm, I'm completely fine. But her atmosphere changed when she touched him because she wasn't thinking Jesus would notice. Jesus noticed and said, oh, by the way, somebody touched me. She's like, oh, crap. I just got found out. She's thinking, I can just slip away into the background and go live a normal life. I can live uh, uh, the rest of my life in peace and I can have this. But Jesus called her out and said, I know he knew who it was. It's the son of God. It's not like he's like, oh, who touched me? You know, he knows someone touched me. He was calling her saying, hey, someone touched me. I know it was you. Just step forward. He was calling her out to have courage. He was calling her out to face what she had dealt with and to explain what she was dealing with. She had the courage to look her problem in the face and say, you know what, this is not going to stop me because I know there's a solution. Think about David and Goliath. Goliath was the best thing that ever happened to David. If it wasn't for David... we wouldn't have the lineage of Jesus. If it wasn't for Goliath, they wouldn't have sung songs about David, about him slaying Philistines. They wouldn't have have talked to him, uh, saying different areas of of his life. Do you think David sent a letter to Goliath's family and said, thank you so much for your son. He was a great opportunity for me to get over my fear and to have faith and have courage to get into this. No, he probably didn't, but... Think about this. His giant was, was the stopping point of saying, okay, I can slink back like my brothers in fear and stay where we're at. I'm, I'm supposed to be bringing food to my brothers because they're at war and I'm not good enough for war. I'm good enough to watch dad's sheep, but I'm not good enough for war. So he's bringing food to his brothers and his problem, his mountain, his situation calls him out. It says, is there anybody? Is there anybody who can come out and go toe-to-toe with me? And David's like, the youngest, he's looking at his brothers like, dude, why aren't you doing something about this? Because they're afraid. They're sitting at that wall going, I'm just going to wait for somebody to take care of this for me. My problem's sitting here. I'm just going to wait for it. Maybe it'll go away. Maybe if we wait Goliath out, he'll get bored and leave. 
Maybe if, this, if we sit at the base of this mountain, it'll just eventually turn into a molehill and we can step over it. But David was called out. He's, way, he's like, who is this guy? Really? You're, you're letting this guy blaspheme God? Blaspheme God. Uh, he's calling us names. He's calling you names. He's calling your mom names. He's calling everybody in your name. You know, and you're, you're letting him do this. And he hears Goliath saying, hey, send me somebody. And David's like, none of you are going? I'll go. I'll deal with this problem. I'll deal with this situation. I'm going to deal with this, this problem in front of me because I know when I get on the other side of this problem, my blessing, my, my reward for this is even greater. His problem, the solution to his problem was wrapped up into his problem. He knew as soon as he, he faced that problem, the solution was there. We're talking about a nine-foot-tall guy who has a spear that's six and a half feet long and has you know, armor that probably weighs more than David does altogether. We're, and we're talking about a, a you know, five-foot-seven kid who's 17 years old. And he goes to face this guy with a, little, uh, with a slingshot and some stones because he knows that that problem is not... He is not the problem. He knows that that where that guy is just a roadblock. He's standing in the way to where he's supposed to go. We look at Joshua and Caleb. They go into the land. They, they're spies. They go into the land with the, the rest of the, the the other ten, and they come back and they're like, "I think it's a I think it's a go. We can go." The other 10 are like, oh no, they're going to eat us alive. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. You know, you got 10 guys who are giving a bad report and two guys are saying, we can do this. If it's just me and him, we'll take them. But they're giving a good report saying to Moses, we can go into the land. These are not a problem for us. I'm going to read this to you. Um, It comes out of the King James. And... I normally don't use the King James a lot because it's a lot of these and thous and stuff like that. And I I like to use a little more modern translation, but this is really cool. Numbers 14.9. And this is Joshua speaking. It says, Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred to us. Their defiance is departed from it, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Joshua says they're bred. We're going to eat them alive. He said, God has prepared that, that place for them. That is the, the promised land. And God is coming, is bringing them into it. And Joshua and Caleb say, they're bread to us. We're going to take it. We're going to cut it. We're going to put it on the table. They are nothing. We're going to eat them alive. The message translation says this. It says, the land we walked in through, through and scouted is very good. Very good indeed. If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land that flows and say, and then say, with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Just don't rebel against God. Don't be afraid of those people. Why? We'll have them for lunch. Joshua and Caleb were basically saying, if we go in now, we're going to open a can on them. And we're going to destroy them because God is with us. Who can be against us? They looked at the problem and said, this is lunch. 
I'm going to go in and I'm going to devour them. We're going to eat them. It's not going to stop us to get to where we have been promised our blessing. Look at these people and, and you say, man, the courage they had to do this. We're talking about a little woman who's, who's unclean. And we're talking about a, a 17-year-old kid. We're talking about a couple 20-year-old or 30-year-old guys who are saying, these are giants, but I'm not going to let them stop us. God's going to go in there and we're going to destroy them. They had boldness to step out. They had boldness to say, I'm not going to let this stop me. This is a problem, but in this problem is wrapped in, in this. Inside of this problem is a blessing wrapped up because I'm going to do something great with it. The promised land was a gift to the, the children of Israel. They all saw that gift, but they didn't see the wrapping on it. And sometimes the wrapping doesn't look good, but the gift is amazing when you open the wrapping. My dad always wrapped my kids' gifts in like newspaper or comic strips. You know, the comic page from the newspaper. You know, none of you read the newspaper anymore, so I mean, like four of you maybe. But um, my dad always wraps them up. One time he wrapped my kids' uh, present up in duct tape and had to have them cut it out. I mean, like we're talking wrap, roll the duct tape. And... But my kids know that my dad's going to send them cool things. Like this time he sent them a hundred water balloon thing. And you just hook up to the hose and it fills up all hundred water balloons at once. I got home from, from work and I'm pulling in the driveway and they're just chucking them at each other, throwing them at each other, running around, the, you know, running around the house, throwing them at each other. But they know within that gift, it's a hard gift to get open. And it's hard to tear through the wrapping, but inside of it is an amazing thing. We have to start looking at problems and saying there, there's something amazing. Within this problem, there's something amazing that I'm going to get out of it. My character is going to grow. My faith is going to grow. Something inside of me is going to grow. Leaders and solution bringers see problems as bread, something they can take and make their own and turn it into a victory. Yes. Employers, they look for problem solvers. They don't, you know, if you go to your boss, say, uh, well, I got a problem with this. I can't figure out how to turn my computer on. I'm just going to sit here until somebody helps me with it. You know, I, I used to do IT. I did it for almost 10 years, and I'd have somebody um, page me from one of the other offices. Oh, come here. I'm, I'd be like, okay, what do you need? My computer, my computer isn't, I click on my mouse, but it doesn't show up. I said, did you push the button? <laughs> oh, okay, click. And I finally just got sick of, of it, and I tell people, I say, okay, here's three rules before you even call me. Don't, don't make me walk over there until you make sure the computer's on. If it's froze up, have you restarted it? And make sure the monitor's on. Three simple things. It's not that hard to do. You just, okay, oh, nope, it's not lit up on the computer. Oh, I pushed the button. Oh, the monitor's not. Or, it's just simple things that I was like, okay, you got to be a problem solver. That's like our kids. We tell our kids. I'm like, I'm talking to 40-year-old people here. They're like, oh, I can't figure this out. I'm like, Try to be a problem solver on your own. I'm not here to solve every one of your problems. As parents, we're not here to solve every one of our kids' problems. Employers, people who are, are look for people who are problem solvers, not people who sit there and go, well, I don't know what to do with these two. I'll just wait here. Maybe they'll fix themselves. If you hire a plumber and he comes in and goes, I don't know what these are. And you're like, wait a minute, what? I hired the wrong guy. But we look... 
God is looking for problem solvers, people who will look the problem in the face and go, oh, I'll handle this. I may not know how to handle it now, but I'm going to get it handled. That's, um, I was talking to, uh, I was at my grandmother's house last night and we were putting a screen door in. She has a slider with a screen door. We put in all the screen in and, and it was the weirdest thing. Cause, um, my, my mom's there, my aunts are there and something like that. My mom's like, she's like, oh, you got a Dremel. I got, bought this bunch of tools and stuff and, and we're working on this screen and she's like, oh, you do screens. I said, like, yeah. She goes, well, Lana, Lana says you're not a handyman. I said, okay, that's fine. And, um, and she's like, oh, I didn't know he knew how to do this stuff. I said, yeah, I do. Because what happened was when I was six, seven, eight, nine years old, my father was teaching me how to do those things. My father has taught me things how to, to do things that I didn't even remember I knew how to do until I get into that situation. And I go, wait a minute, my father has taught me this. My father has taught me how to, you know, I was seven years old in, the, in, the, in an 82 Velari pumping brakes for my dad. Pump it three times and hold. One, two, three, four, hold. One more time. One, two, three, four, hold. Because he's bleeding the brakes. And I'm in the driver's seat barely touching. I'm pulling myself with the steering wheel to be able to reach the brakes. It's the same way with God. God teaches us things that we don't even realize we know. And when we get to that problem, we go, wait a minute. My father taught me this. Now that problem isn't a problem because I know how to solve it. We can turn any problem into a victory because our Father has taught us things. And if he hasn't taught us, we wait on him to teach us and we wait on him to guide us so we know how to deal with that problem that is in front of us. One of the biggest problems today in, in the world is people who don't know how to sing to have record deals. You know what the fix for that is? Auto-tune. So sometimes in life, we have problems and we have to figure out how to auto-tune ourselves into God and auto-tune ourselves so we can figure out how to deal with that problem because our Father gives us thoughts, He gives us ideas, and He figures out and shows us how to deal with problems. My kids will know how to take care of their car, will know how to do brakes. I have, I've had Lana help me do brakes on the car. She's like, what is this? And I show her, okay, this one goes into this one. You've got to slide it in. It has a little prong. You've got to push that down. You slide it in. You move the spring around and she doesn't understand it now, but she will get it eventually because every time that she helps me, it's a repetitive thing and it will be ingrained in her. So when she's 25 or 30 years old and she, she doesn't needs to do something and she doesn't want to spend money on it, she'll know how to do it or she can be able to fix things on her own, change a tire, do those things. The little things we teach our children, they will become successful in, when they're adults and they don't remember it and they go, oh wait, no, I, I know how to do this. God's the same way. He's going to teach us things when we're young and while we're growing and as we continue to grow that when we come into a problem, we're like, you know what? Wait a minute. God showed me how to deal with this. Think about those people, David, Caleb, Joshua, the woman with the issue of blood. They saw their problem and said, I'm not, that problem's not going to stop me. My problem is simply just a, a momentary delay for me to get to where I'm going to go. A momentary delay to where God is bringing me. And you know what? All we have to do is go, you know what? If you don't know how to deal with it, say, you know what? God, I need, to show you, I need you to show me how to deal with that problem. We access God. He gives us what we need. He gives us people in our life. He gives us a lot of tools to be able to deal with that problem. There's a specific tool for each issue in our life. And God has the ability to show us what that is. Let's pray.